Then would you like to turn in the New Testament to the book of Romans, chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. And I'll read from verse 11. Paul says to the Romans, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. As we've been looking at uh, the opening to this letter, and uh, I was just before coming, just counting up, this is actually our tenth session in this, and uh, we're pressing on fast. Uh, But as we've been looking at this over now ten weeks, um, we've seen that Paul is preparing the way for a visit he hopes to make to this great city of Rome. He is, it used to be said, I guess the saying is still around, isn't it? All roads lead to Rome, and that was true at the time. The Romans had built this great network of communication, largely so their army could get out where necessary into the empire, where there was trouble, they could get mobilized quickly, but all roads spread out from Rome, and there was a lot of travel. And so Paul had met people who had come from Rome. He knew people who had gone to Rome. He knew what was happening there, and he longed to be part of the action. And so he's intending to come, and he's writing this letter, which will be sent ahead of him, so that they are ready for his arrival, and indeed will be praying for his arrival there. And uh, he's setting out to them something of what he believes. He wants to share the gospel with them, and uh, he's, he's just preparing the way uh, with this, this letter of 16 chapters setting out the sort of stuff he will be thrilling to preach to them and teach them and bring them into when he arrives. And so uh, he's said a little bit, bit uh, to introduce himself. He's expressed uh, something of his belief about them there in Rome. And then in verse 13, which is the verse I want us to uh, look at this morning, He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. Got a little insight here into his personal experience. Think of Paul. We we tend to refer to him as the great apostle. He was one among many, obviously, but in our New Testament, it's Paul that we encounter most. His letters make up the bulk of the New Testament, and so it's easy to think he is the the great apostle. He didn't see himself like that. He said he was the least of them, but uh, he's the one that we know most about, and, and we see in the book of Acts. Also, we see his travels and the things he was involved in, and it'd be very easy to think, well, here's a man who is so in touch with God that he's virtually got a hotline to heaven. And when Paul makes plans, he makes plans because he's heard from God and therefore inevitably it's going to work. 
He's going to be successful. He is going to kind of cruise through life in continual contact with God, knowing precisely what to do next and when to do it. But here we see him saying, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so. Translation is always a a difficult art because it's always difficult to exactly communicate what the original is saying. And what the original is saying here is that Paul had actually made plans many times. It's not just that he wanted to come and he'd often thought it would be nice to go to Rome. No, it's much more than that. He's saying, I want you to know, I don't want you to be unaware that I intended, I made plans many times to come. But those plans got thwarted. So Paul had actually, I don't know if he'd actually got his case packed, but he was reckoning he's going to Rome. And it didn't happen. So it's active planning that Paul has often made that didn't actually come to anything. So here's the great apostle. If ever anyone was in touch with God, it's this man. And yet he makes plans that fail. That's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) Which then gives rise to all kinds of questions for us. How can we know God's will? Now, for some, that's not an issue. For some, they may be here this morning and you're here because people have invited you along or maybe you normally come, but actually you live your life your way. You know what you want to do and that's what you try and do. And so, knowing God's will is not actually a major factor in your life. You're more governed by what people around expect from you, the circle of friends you've got. They kind of set the direction for your life. And if you thought about God's will, you'd be thinking of something that's likely to be highly inconvenient for you. God is out to spoil your fun. Maybe that's what you think. And so, knowing God's will, no, don't really want to know that. You just go with the flow. You go with what other people are expecting of you and what the things that they value, that's what you value. For some, that's where it's at. But for others, and I hope the majority here, we want to live for God. We know that God has taken hold of us. He has saved us. We belong to him. And so it it becomes a major issue for us. How do we know his will? In all the decisions that we have to make, how do we know what God wants? And why do things go wrong is another question. Because Paul is saying that things have gone wrong for him. I've been prevented from doing so until now, he says. Why do things go wrong? When we think we know God's will, why is it that sometimes it just doesn't work out? Got to be honest about it. It can be like that. It's like that for Paul. That's what he's saying. And then another question, how do we handle it? When with all integrity, we thought we were walking with God. We thought we had heard God and we're moving out in in faith. This is integrity, it's faith, we're moving out with God and we hit a brick wall. It all goes wrong. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, I made plans actively many times. Didn't just happen once, many times. He's moved in that direction. Oh, and it's not working. How do we handle it? 
when we're disappointed, when we're frustrated, when we're confused. Well, there's some of the issues that hopefully we will find answers to as we look at around this this morning. Now, we see here Paul saying, expressing his great desire to go to Rome. And that desire was, was God-given. That desire was absolutely right. Because eventually, he would get to Rome. If you just turn back, one page is in my Bible. I imagine it would be also in yours. Acts 28. In Acts 28 and verse 14, the final sentence of that verse says, And so we came to Rome. It's talking about the Apostle Paul and the group with him. And so we came to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming. Paul had sent a letter anyway. The, the brothers there had heard that we were coming. They traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So he got there. He was absolutely right in sensing it's God's will to get to Rome. That bit was right. What had been wrong was the timing. He had planned many times and it didn't happen. God had a time. He was right to know I should go there, but wrong to keep trying before it was the right time. So what prevented him? He says, I have uh, been prevented from doing so until now. What prevented him? Well, there are some hints. We can see in other scriptures some of the things that indicate what had prevented him. So in chapter 15, uh, the last but one chapter in this letter to the Romans, chapter 15, and verse 22, again he says, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So he refers again to things going wrong. And what he's talking about there, if you look at the context, he says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was, what was not known. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. So one of the things that prevented him was just the huge opportunities all around him. There was so much to do. So he's thinking, I'm going to go to Rome. Oh, and then something else opens up. And then something else. And so some of the things preventing him were good things. Many, many opportunities for preaching the gospel where Christ wasn't yet known. These things kept coming. And now he says, now I've fully done it. I have fully proclaimed the gospel, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Rome. His plans at that point were not going to quite work out how he thought. So again, he's right in the intention, but maybe not quite perceiving it how God wants it. So what prevented him? Many other opportunities. And included in that may be the sort of thing that we read about in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, when he was making some other plans. Acts 16 and verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So there you see again, Paul thinking, I think that would be a good place to go. And the spirit, in some way, either through prophecy or just a a sense in his own spirit, the spirit of Jesus says, no, you're not going there. What prevents him? Sometimes just the leading of God. He thinks, I think this is right. Then God says, no. But equally, almost certainly, one of the things preventing him was opposition from the devil. And why do I say that? Well, again, in chapter 15, when Paul is saying, I intend to come, he says in verse 30, Romans 15:30, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and so on, so that by God's will I may come to you. So he says, it's a struggle. There's some opposition here. And of course we see that, don't we, that when eventually he is, we see it in the book of Acts, when eventually he is on his way to Rome. We read in Acts 27 and verse 14, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm, and so shipwreck. It's like everything is against him. He's saying, join me in my struggle. Yeah, there's work to do. That's good. But equally, there's opposition. And when finally he's on the way there, it's like the devil tries to kill him. There's the storm, the ship begins to break up, and the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming swimming away. There was attempt after attempt to actually get rid of Paul so that he would not make it to Rome. So, he says, I have been prevented from doing so many times. Finally, he arrives in Rome. We've seen it there, he gets there. But he arrives there as a shipwrecked prisoner. The ship has broken up, swum to the shore, and then all the adventures, you can read about it in the book of Acts. And finally, he makes it to Rome under guard. He's a prisoner having been shipwrecked. Nothing worked according to plan. He's saying, pray that I'll arrive with joy. Well, he was glad when he got there, but he's a prisoner. And he might indeed be about to lose his life anyway. So nothing happened according to plan. So we come back to the question, how can we know God's will? And how can we be certain we've got it right? In big decisions like our career, many of you students may be coming to the end or working towards the end of your time in Sheffield. Big questions. What career? Where does God want you? What location? Should it be Sheffield? Should it be somewhere else? Big decisions. Big decisions about relationships. Maybe a relationship has started and is this God's will? Is this the one God has chosen for you? How do you know? Can you ever be sure of anything? Paul makes plans, but they don't work out. He thinks he knows God's mind, and it doesn't happen. How can we know? How can we know 
about the, in the thousand and one daily decisions we have to make. There are big decisions, but smaller ones as well. Can we be clear that we're walking with God? How much certainty can we have? Is there ever a kind of hotline to heaven where we know God has said it, well, that's it. We need to realize that there are all kinds of difficulties, and Paul is well aware of that. He's walked with God long enough to know that things are not plain sailing. We live, when when we're saved, we are rescued, saved out of our sinful background, but saved also out of a sinful culture to belong to God. And so, the moment we're saved, the moment we become a Christian, we are, from that moment, swimming against the tide. We're going against the flow. We're going against general opinion. We're going against all kinds of spiritual forces. The Bible makes that clear. Paul, writing to his friends in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, says there in verse 12, Ephesians 6 and verse 12, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, take your stand against the devil's schemes, and he then speaks about a struggle. So that's normal experience. We're not just contending with people, Paul says. Yeah, we see the people and we sometimes encounter sudden, irrational hostility. We think, what's that? Where did that come from? Well, he tells us where it came from. Rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's be under no illusions. That's all coming against us. Life becomes a struggle. When you become a Christian, it's not all bad news, I do assure you, but we're going against the flow. And all of that is against us to try and just quench our faith, just to snuff out the light that God has lit in us, if it were possible, which it isn't. Jesus warned his disciples in John chapter 16, John chapter 16 and verse 33, Well, verse verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In me, peace. In the world, trouble. So that's the promise. So it's not all bad news. Jesus said, in me you will have peace. And as as long as our focus is Jesus, and we've had encouragements this morning to make Jesus our focus, as long as he is our focus in him, there is peace. But that's in the midst of a world in which there's trouble. And that's, that's the deal. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. As long as we're in Christ, we're in the side that wins. But it's not easy. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a struggle. In the previous chapter in John, John chapter 15 and verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world 
hates you. (laughs) Pretty clear. Pretty stark. This world system is opposed to God. It's rejected God. Doesn't want God. Doesn't believe in God. Doesn't reckon that God created anything. God is not, we don't need him. This world says, essentially, we will either make our own gods or else we'll dismiss the need for any god. Here in the West, it's the latter. We dismiss the need for any god. We live in a secular society. We're told again and again, if you believe in God, well, just keep that to yourself. But actually, life is organized as if there is no god. And don't you dare raise your head above the parapet and say you believe in Jesus. Because you're not allowed to say that. I mean, why? It's irrational. When we can maybe think, this is not fair. They don't attack other religions the way they attack those who believe in Jesus. No, of course they don't. The wor- if the world hates you, Jesus said, keep in mind it, hates me fir- it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you. But you- Jesus said, you belong to me. That's why the world hates you. Well, that's, that's what we have come into. There is opposition continually. In Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 18 onwards, Paul is speaking about the, the, the whole way life is organized. He's talking about creation. And he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know, he says, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and not only so, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly and so on. Notice some of the words there. Suffering, frustration, pain, groaning. That's the world we're living in. And Paul says, and we also groan. So there is opposition. Will our plan succeed when we feel God has told us something? Well, straight away, when we move out in obedience to God, we're going against the flow, and all of that is opposed to us. And there is no certainty of always winning. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says something rather similar to what he says to the Romans. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 18, He says, we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. (laughs) That's the Apostle Paul. We wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan stopped us. There is no absolute guarantee of winning through. Sometimes things just do not work out because we've got an enemy. Now, I know there are people today who get into all kinds of unbiblical stuff and saying, well, let's bind the devil. You know, Paul was biblical. He hadn't understood that kind of stuff. Of course, you can't bind the devil. Satan stopped us, he said. We've got an enemy. Goes around like a roaring lion looking to see who he can devour. 
He is bound. Jesus bound him at the cross, but he still is lashing out at us. And he ultimately can't prevail. But nonetheless, he opposes us. So the difficulty of walking with God and and we've heard something from God. How's it going to work through? And what about frustration? Things don't seem to work out. Well, there's opposition. There's also mystery. It's another problem for us. The mystery of God. In a former day when people used to sing hymns, there was a hymn that said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. Yeah, the mystery of God. There are times when we're just puzzled by what God is doing. You ever been puzzled by God? God moves in a mysterious way. Why does he do it like that? Well, he's God. There was a time when Jesus spoke about that to his disciples in John chapter 13 and verse 7. He said to them, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So when he came to wash their feet and they say, no, you're not going to wash our feet because he's acting like a servant. And And they think this isn't right. He says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. That can be said many times to us. When just the mystery of why God does things, how he does. When we feel God has said something to us, and we obey him, and we end up in a dead end. And you think, how can this happen? God said this, this, and this. I'm obeying him, and here I've hit a brick wall, and there is no way through. And furthermore, it seems like God is, not, is now indicating this is not his will, whereas he indicated it was. Yeah, I don't understand it. No, there are times when we say, I don't understand. I don't realize now what God is doing. But I will, later I will understand. I've probably shared this before because I don't have many original stories. I don't have any original stories. But when I was a, a young man, a growing up teenager into 20s, I resolved that I wasn't going to get into this whole thing of just dating anyone. Like I saw friends get into relationships and then getting all distracted and so on. Um, and it was not a difficult decision to make because no one was sort of pursuing me. But anyway, um, <laughs> that was my, my resolve. And then I, I, when I was at university, there was a very godly girl and uh, I was impressed with her. And anyway, I, I asked God, is this right? And I asked God to do something very specific, which had never happened before, so it would be right out of the run of what was ordinary, to indicate this was right. And immediately that happened. So I've said, Father, I don't want to get into anything that's a distraction. So just to know this is right, do that. And he did it straight away. I mean, right, uh, there was no reason. I won't go into the detail. So, this is of God. I have kept myself, and this is now of God. And I get into this relationship, which hit, after some months, a brick wall. And I'm confused. I was so careful to seek God. God indicated it was right. And it wasn't. And that was when that verse in, in, in John 13 first hit me. You don't know now. You don't understand now. You don't realize now what I'm doing. But you will know. And the 
just the distress of that time, which was considerable, kind of opened me up to actually hear God calling me to preach, which is why I am where I am now. And, of course, God also, in his great grace, had the perfect partner for me later on. But at that time, you know, sometimes you need a wound to get you to hear God. Sometimes you need to be opened up if God's going to come through. And sometimes the way we get opened up is when we're just totally confused. Oh God, I thought I was following you. I thought you said this and this. And God maybe was saying this and this, but to lead us to a point where suddenly we're cast on him. He wants our heart. And he's allowed to confuse us. And he's allowed to lead us into a dead end. He moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. But they are wonders. But he's allowed to do that. So there's mystery. You look in the Bible. Why was that young man Stephen so cruelly killed? We read of all the promise in that young man's heart, in his life. We read about it in Acts chapter 6 and then Acts chapter 7. You see him bravely confronting people who opposed him, preaching with great grasp of the Scriptures. You think, hey, he's going somewhere. He was to glory immediately. God just took him, martyred. Think, why? Then you get further on in the book of Acts, in chapter 12. And uh, in Acts chapter 12, in an almost offhand kind of way, it says there about this time, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So, a bit of a a killing spree that King Herod is on. And James, one of the, the, the three who are closest to Jesus, James, just killed. Peter arrested but miraculously freed out of prison. Why? Why is one killed and one miraculously set free? Couldn't God have spared James? Why, why, why? The question, why? The mystery of God's dealings. We have to come to the conclusion that really we don't know very much at all. And really, we don't understand very much at all about anything. And we also need to draw the conclusion, it's it's far too easy to jump to conclusions. This happens and this happens, therefore this must happen. Who said so? We jump to conclusions, we get it wrong, because God moves in a mysterious way. How can we be sure? Well, ultimately, ultimately, maybe we can't. And then there's the problem of misunderstanding. When God speaks to us, we, our hearing of what God says can be distorted through our own prejudices and strong desires. The things that we want can cause us to kind of filter what God says. So we only hear what we want to hear. 
Last week, I think I, I referred to the story that Jesus told about the, the sower sowing the seed in the various places where that seed fell. Mark's account of that speaks of the, the seed that falls among the thorns and the weeds, and there's a lot of other stuff there, and it chokes the word. And, and Jesus explains that, and among the other things, he says it's the desire for other things chokes the word. I was once talking with a, a, a guy, a, a young man, I was going to say, of a certain age. I guess he was late 30s, single. And he was telling me how he said, I just don't get anything out of preaching. I, I'm there, I hear it, but it just doesn't do anything for me. Don't, I don't hear anything. So I started talking to him and just discovering a bit about him. What I discovered was he's in his late 30s, single, but desperate to be married. Certainly not at peace with his singleness. He wants a wife. And, he's, and, then, and this was, this was the, 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 the giveaway. He said, every Sunday, he said, I'm just wanting God to give me a promise that I will find a wife. I thought, well, that's it. The desire for other things chokes the word. When you are just programmed, this is what I want to hear, then either you force things into that mold to hear what you want to hear, or else you hear nothing. And so we can, our, our strong desires, our wishes, our prejudices can distort what God is clearly saying. In Acts chapter 21, there's a kind of example of that. When uh, Paul, in his desire to go to Rome, via Jerusalem, uh, Agabus the prophet comes to him in Acts 21, verse 11, takes Paul's belt, ties his own hands and feet, and says, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. There's a clear word. How do the people hear it? When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go. God was not saying, don't go. God was saying, when you get there, don't be surprised when this happens, because it's going to happen. And actually, it was God's plan to get into Rome. It had to happen. But the people's strong desire was, let's protect Paul. And so their desires caused them to actually miss what God is actually saying. It can happen. And so we, we get promises, but was it actually a promise about this or that? Did we maybe distort it to hear what we wanted to hear? People can get into all kinds of difficulties when they're only hearing what they want to hear. And actually, God didn't say it. We kind of forced his word into the mold we wanted. So we need real humility. In all of these things that can make it so hard for us to walk with God, we need real humility. Back in the Old Testament, that book full of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs 16 verse 2, it says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Our motives can be so twisted. And all a man's ways seem innocent. We think, oh, that seems the right way. Yeah, but are our motives right? 
Are we perhaps mishearing it because of twisted motives? And then it goes on to say in verse 9, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Paul has been planning his course. I want to go to Rome. No, the Lord is determining his steps. No, Paul, you're not going now. No, and you're not going now either. Or now. And Paul, you're not going how you think you're going. You're going to go as a prisoner for this, this, and this reason. The Lord determines the steps. We plan our course. God say, oh God, you're in charge. You're in charge. Maybe I've just got it wrong, but you're the Lord. When we, when we hit a crisis, it's so important that we decide, I'm walking with God. I don't understand anything. The safest thing is, I'm going to walk with God. And then in the New Testament, at the end, towards the end of the New Testament, uh, James chapter 4, and James letter chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. <laughs> Humility. Doesn't he say, Lord, I don't know very much. I don't understand anything. Lord, will you show me what's right? And so here in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 10, Paul says, I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. God's will, that's what matters. So in all these difficulties and all this uncertainty, is there anything that we can be sure of? Is there anything of which we can be certain? Oh, yes, there is. In fact, I've put here five things of which we can be certain. So it's not all bad news. The first thing of which we can be absolutely certain is the wisdom of God's plans. God is absolutely wise. And what he does is good. You know, chapter 8, verse 28, here in this letter to the Romans, famous words, in all, we know that in everything, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We know that. That is absolutely certain. We can get it wrong. We can get into a dead end. We think we're walking with God and we find we're, maybe we were, but it's just not going anywhere. But we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's absolute wisdom, his plans are excellent. In Ephesians chapter 1, a similar kind of confidence is expressed by this great apostle who had known so many setbacks and so many hurts and disappointments, but it doesn't shake his confidence in God. And in Ephesians 1, verse 11, he says, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Just see that description of God. God is the one who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's a great God. He's a great God. When we 
are moving through uncertainty. We don't know the way to go. Maybe we think we've got it wrong. Maybe we have got it wrong. But God, our God, works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. His ways are perfect. His ways are always right. Back in the, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, well, I guess all through Isaiah, these wonderful statements about God. But in Isaiah 40, verse 13, it says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Yes, we can say, I just don't understand. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who can possibly know what God is about? But then it says in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. You know, when we say, oh God, have you forgotten me? How did you get me into this fix? I thought I was walking with you and it's all gone wrong. Oh God, his understanding, is no one can fathom. He knows what he's doing. He, we can safely trust God even when we don't understand when we're hurt, when we're disappointed, when we're confused, we know we can trust God. He is absolutely certain. In that crisis that I referred to in my early 20s, when I discovered that young lady had no desire to walk through life with me, I discovered a Savior who did intend to walk through life with me. And when you think, what else can I trust in? Yeah, it's him. And that was when God called me to preach. This God who is trustworthy. The one when we don't understand anything, we know him. So what can we know with certainty? God's wise plans. The second thing we can be absolutely certain of is our salvation. We can be certain of that. If we have come to faith in Jesus, if we have been born again, then we are sure of that. That is not something that is open to question. That is not something that we ever need have cause to doubt. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No room for wishful thinking, no room for doubt or questioning. We need to see what it says. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. That's not just uttering a slogan. We don't just persuade someone to say, oh, just say Jesus is Lord. No, it's, it's a conviction. We confess it. Jesus is Lord. That means we've repented. We've turned away from what we were involved in. And we say, now he's the Lord now. I'm handing over the keys to him. He's the Lord. If we confess Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead. He's alive to be my Lord. Salvation. That's a clear promise. No need to doubt it whatsoever. We can be confident. Paul can say, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to look after what I've entrusted to him 
until that day. I know. He's talking when he says that about things that are going wrong all around him. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy is confused by so much going wrong for the Apostle Paul. And Paul refers to all of that. He says, but I know whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've entrusted to him. We can be absolutely certain of our salvation. And within that salvation, we can be absolutely certain as part of our salvation that sin will never defeat us. We have been saved And so in chapter 6 and verse 14 of Romans, sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. It's real salvation. We can be absolutely certain of that. Things that were besetting sins, weaknesses, sin shall not be your master. We know sin can't defeat us. We know that heaven is our destiny. So what can we be certain of? God's wise plans. Secondly, our salvation The third thing we can be absolutely sure of, the ultimate success of the church. We know, beyond any doubt, the church will succeed, the church will more than survive, the church will outlast everything. In a day when everything is being shaken, we know... Whatever opposition comes against the church, that the church ultimately will succeed. Why do we know that? Jesus said it. I will build my church, he said. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. And he said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of hell. The gates representing in, in the time when he was speaking where, where all this strategy was, was decided for any community. And he's saying that the strategies of hell will not overcome the church. I will build it. That's, we can be absolutely sure of that. Other things, maybe we can't be sure of, but we know that the church is here for good. And the church will succeed. Matthew 24, also Jesus said, concerning our role in the church... He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The church must survive and its mission will be successful into every nation. We can be absolutely certain of that. Other things, personal decisions, we can't maybe get it wrong. But these things are rock solid. God's wisdom our salvation, and the success of the church. Fourth thing we can be sure of, God's glory. There is no doubt about it. It is all for his glory, and he will get glory. In other words, there is absolutely no possibility of God being defeated. There is absolutely no possibility of God losing. There is absolutely no possibility of some kind of popular uprising that topples God from his position. God ultimately will get glory. It's all for the praise of the glory of his grace. That's what we read again and again in the Bible. It's there in Ephesians chapter 1. It's all for his glory. And so, of course, we get 
a little preview of the end in the book of Revelation. And again and again, you see these great ascriptions of glory to God. Look at Revelation 15, verse 3. They, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Lamb, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. There we see the God's wise plans, glory being given to him for all that he has done. The end of it all is glory. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. God ultimately will be glorified. And that, therefore, is what our lives are about. So as I stumble through life, making mistakes, sometimes getting it right, sometimes confident I know what God wants, sometimes very unsure. But over it all, my overriding aim is, oh God, be glorified in my life. That was what Stephen was all about. Why did Stephen's life get cut off for the glory of God? What a death he died. What a death. Horrendously cruel. But there, as the stones are hitting him, to finally knock him unconscious and kill him, he says, I see heaven opened. And I see the Son of God. What a a way to die. What a way to go. He brought glory to God. We're here to bring glory to God by our life or our death, by by our success or our failure, by our wisdom or our folly. But we want to bring glory to God, and that's what it's all about. It's not about us getting it right, it's about Him getting glory. So the fifth thing of which we can be confident, the fifth thing of which I am confident, is my very great need. God's wise plans, salvation, the success of the church, God's ultimate glory, and my very great need. My very great need to know him. And to know him whatever the circumstances. Remember how Paul expresses it, writing to the Philippians? When he's speaking about Things that God has done for him and things that haven't yet happened. And he's under no illusions about where he's at. But he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to know him. It is not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. Of me, I want to know him. And he speaks about power and suffering. Sometimes the power of the resurrection. Sometimes the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There are times of great glory, times of great, great pain and disappointment. Paul knew what it was to say, everyone's left me. What disappointment. He gathered people, he built into them, he shared his life with them. And they all let him down. He said, I want to know him. A very great need of Jesus, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever the circumstances, when we're confused, when we're disappointed, when we're desolate because it's all gone wrong. Oh 
I want to know him. I want to know him through the successes, and I want to know him through the heartache, but to know him. And knowing him, to walk humbly with him. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, what does the Lord require of you? What does God ultimately want? Or to love justice and mercy and so on, and to walk humbly with your God. Not knowing it all, not having a hotline to heaven, not sure, I know God's will, I'm a great man of faith. I I, I want to walk humbly with you, Lord. That's my faith, to walk humbly with God. Not claiming anything that isn't true, but saying, Lord, you are true. You are wise. You are mighty. You will be glorified. You will build your church. I'm walking humbly with you. And to know that he is my shepherd. You know that wonderful, I guess, one of the most familiar parts of Scripture. But so, you know, they say familiarity breeds contempt. And it's easy for us to just dismiss things that are so well known. But Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To walk humbly with God. Knowing God as shepherd. Doing all of that. Yes, the path will go in different places. Through the valley of the shadow of death. Or whatever. But oh God, I'm walking with you. The ultimate certainty. I need God. You need God. There are many things of which we can't be sure, but we can be certain of God and confident in him. So in life, many possibilities, many plans that we can make, some plans very much of God, some we hope they're of God, many prayers that we're going to pray Many desires that we're going to bring to God. Many things of which we think we're certain, but in the midst of certainty, oh God, I want to walk humbly with you. I realize I could have got it wrong, but Lord, I want to walk with you. But what we know, what we absolutely know, is that God is good. That his ways are perfect. And he is our choice. Whatever else we want in life, he is our choice. We say, Lord, I give you permission to confuse me. Lord, I give you permission to lead me into a dead end. But, oh God, as long as you lead me, that's fine by me. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to walk with you through the tears. I'm going to walk through you through the total confusion. I'm going to walk with you through the successes. But I want to walk with you. That's our choice. Paul knew what it was to make serious plans that went nowhere. He was a man of prayer. He was always praying. And on the back of all of that praying, he makes plans. And they don't work out. 
but he walks with God. Let's follow his example. Yeah, frustrated plans didn't stop him. He's still pressing on, still got ambition, still looking to the distant horizon, thinking Rome and beyond that Spain, there are more regions to get to. Yes, he knows he can get it wrong, but he's got a great God. And because he's got a great God, he's still got great ambition, and he's pressing through with God. Let's resolve God is our choice. And we're going to follow him. We don't need to know all kinds of stuff. What we do need to know is that he's with us.